You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, everybody. I'm Patrice. And I'm Rachel. Whoa. Rachel, <sighs> you don't sound so good. <laughs> no, I don't feel so good either, but here we are. I hope you don't have the coronavirus. I do too. Um, <laughs> I think you probably don't. I think I probably don't. I think I'd be today much worse than I am. I imagine so. Uh, Rachel is in Spain, not China. I'm in China, and I definitely don't have coronavirus. And I think it's probably pretty unlikely that you do. So <laughs> let's hope not. Thankfully. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> <clears throat> Welcome to episode 52. And luckily, Rachel is not going to have to talk a lot because we already recorded episode 52 way back in December. Yep. This is just an update on a couple of things. Yeah, we talked about hiking while traveling. And then we also gave a little update on our lives. So we'll go ahead and play the episode. And then we'll come back and give an update on the updates that we did. Okay? All right. Enjoy. Enjoy. Uh, today we're going to talk about hiking while traveling and a little bit about our experiences doing it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, we'll also do a few life updates for uh, those of you who are interested. You can stick around. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because I actually that's one comment that I've gotten from listeners that I meet is they'll be like, So, I really like listening to your podcast, but I never know what's happening with you. And (laughs) we decided this time we could do that, especially since we were gone for so long. Mm -hmm. Lots happened. Yes, exactly. So, let's start off with some language news. Yeah. So, today we're going to talk about how accents are perceived in Appalachia as far as language news goes. Although, that will be like another topic that we talk about accents in languages in a different episode but today we're just going to focus on Appalachia in the US mm-hmm. which is where we're from where we're from so it's pretty cool yeah we don't have this accent though no we don't sound like we're from Appalachia no in fact whenever i tell people i i grew up in Tennessee they say oh really you don't sound like it yeah i know <laughs> Well, I think it helps. Is your dad from Tennessee? No, my dad's from Rhode Island. Okay. And my mom's from Pennsylvania. Right. So then that makes a big difference. Definitely. Yeah, my parents aren't from Tennessee either, so. Mm-hmm. So this article is from BPR, which is Blue Ridge Public Radio. Blue Ridge is another name for the Appalachian Mountains, which, for those of you who aren't familiar with U.S. geography, is the eastern mountain chain that runs from about, is it Georgia? Georgia. Does it start in Georgia? Mm -hmm. Yeah. To Pennsylvania, I believe. Mm, Doesn't it go all the way to Maine? Ooh, you're right. It goes from Georgia to Maine. Uh Uh-huh. So basically the entire east Mm -hmm. coast. Yes. And Appalachia, especially in... Eastern Tennessee, Western North Carolina has a very specific accent that is sometimes perceived to decrease people's IQs. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is sort of 
across the board for Southern accents in general, but... Especially Appalachia. Yeah, exactly. Especially for Appalachia. Uh, And I've heard people say that, like, you know, the accent is quaint, or it sounds too country, or it sounds uneducated. Mm -hmm. So in this article, that's exactly what happens. Like, there is a guy named David Angel, and he's from Waynesville, North Carolina, and he moved to Boston for a job. One of his co-workers said to him... Oh, you have a lazy eye. Like, not the eye, like the body part. Oh, ah. But the word eye, yeah. He says, so she gave me a tape on how to say words like July in a northern state that made me sound more professional when I needed to sound that way. So what does he probably sound like, Rachel? July. July. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a diphthong, ah. I, which is the way we usually say it, is more of di- more of a diphthong. So, so yeah, he talks about how he is frustrated because he says, "I'm just as smart as you are. I just say words different from you." And it is interesting that people are perceived to not be smart when they talk that way, but it has nothing to do with how intelligent they are. No, definitely not. Some dialectical things, though, that you can hear in the region are incorrect grammar and things. Well, incorrect according to our standards. According uh, to standard, standard, yeah. Yeah. So, I done that or, Mm -hmm. you know, things that we're taught in school are wrong. They'll also add a to verbs, which is really interesting. They'll Mm -hmm. say like, I'm a looking for somebody. Um, He's a running down that hill. He's a running. <laughs> he was a running and a running. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, in that case, it also helps, I think. It leads to the same impression that people are uneducated or not intelligent, things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a linguist in the community, and his name is Walt Wolfram. And he is trying to promote the Appalachian accent as one of the values of Appalachian culture. There are some really cool things about Appalachian culture that are being preserved. Like, I went to school in western North Carolina, where moonshining is a thing that's being preserved (laughs) and uh, ways of cooking. And Wolfram is arguing that the accent should also be preserved as a relic of Appalachian culture, which Mm. I think is really cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. One county may use a term for red squirrel that's called a boomer. (gasps) Oh, yeah. So there are some other things. I mean, obviously this community is incredibly large, the Appalachian community. So it makes sense that they would have different words for different things. Yeah. Some of these words I have no idea about, but... I had a very Appalachian-sounding nanny when I was young, and she said, I gotta do the wash. <laughs> so they a lot of times they'll add R to things that where it's like, why is there an R there? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, I've heard that too. <sighs> well... We should post a link or something. We should post a video of people talking in the accent. Yeah. And this is also a four and a half minute clip that you can listen to on bpr.org. So we'll post the link to the episode in our show notes. 
If you know the liberal redneck, he's a YouTube personality, and he sounds like the people that we grew up around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, let's jump in and talk about hiking. Yay, hiking! For this part, I am going to bring in my husband, Seth, because he and I do a lot of hiking together when we travel. Cool. Seth, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Hello, listeners. My name is Seth Flynn. I am Patrice's husband and also a hiking enthusiast. Yes, he's always been a hiker. Yeah, I uh, grew up doing Boy Scouts of America, and we had a monthly backpack trip every third weekend. So It's in your bones. I have very woody bones. (laughs) I should probably have that checked out. (laughs) So, Rachel, um, do you want to start off and tell us a story about hiking while traveling and your experience? Sure. I was just going to start by talking about... It's not exactly hiking. It's sort of in the realm. But uh (laughs) Um, anyway, so over the summer, we did part of the Camino de Santiago. Um, Mm. So this is a series of trails that are like ancient trails all around Spain and also in Portugal and France. Mm -hmm. And they lead to Santiago de Compostela in Galicia, in northwestern Spain. And basically the tradition is you follow this path as like a pilgrimage and you can go through like many different types of terrain. It might be mountains or um, like by the sea or through towns, through cities. So anyway, you stay at uh, traditionally at albergues, which are like um, guest houses. And some of them are public, so they're maybe donation-based, or some of them are private. They're still pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. And you share a room with a bunch of people, but it's not like a backpacking thing exactly. Some people do camp, I think, but then you have to carry more stuff. Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so we did that this summer, and that was really cool. Um, It's really popular. And how long did you do it? We did it for six days, so it's really popular for the past maybe 10, 20 years. It's been really growing in popularity, and it's sort of like the European version of maybe the Appalachian Trail or something like that, Mm -hmm. but it's cool because you can, you stop through all these like small, like really old towns that you would never see otherwise, and... Uh, We did walk through, like, really beautiful countryside and some mountains, some coast. So. That's awesome. That's so cool. I remember uh, we were talking about it in the spring and you were like, oh, we're not sure what we're going to do. We're going to stay in Spain. And I was like, you should do Camino de Santiago. And you were like, yep, that's what we're going to (laughs) do. So I'm so glad you did. Yeah, it was really cool. So next summer... The plan is to continue where we left off. Wow. And then, like, each year, you know, do, like, a little bit more. And how long do... Do you know how long it usually takes to do the whole thing? It depends which route you take. The most famous one is the French route, or the French way. Okay. uh, Which starts in the, like, Pyrenees, and it goes, like, across the country of, of Spain, like... 
through Pamplona, where they do the running of the bulls, and then it finally gets there. Um, that's not the one that we did, but that one takes about 40 days, I think. Wow. That's so much hiking. Do you know how many kilometers that is, or miles, uh, or however long Spain is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the French way is 780 kilometers. Oh, okay. Wow. So that's like uh, 500 miles? 500 miles? Uh, no, it's maybe two less. It's 1.6 kilometers to the mile. Two thirds of a mile. So now we are giving ourselves away as teachers who don't teach math. (laughs) Actually, Seth teaches math, but he doesn't like it. 468 miles. That was close enough. Yeah, good job. Okay. So we were doing the northern route, and it's 825 kilometers. Oh, okay. Where does the northern route go? It starts in Irun, which is. It's really close to San Sebastián. We started in San Sebastián, so that's basically like one... It should be one day later or so after Irún. So we started close to the beginning. Oh, okay. And then we went to Bilbao. And it goes all along, like, the north of the country. Wow. I didn't realize the Camino de Santiago has, like, routes all through the country. Yeah. I thought it was just that one long route from... France to Sevilla area. There's one that starts in, like, basically the bottom of Portugal. Some of the most famous ones are that one and the French one, the northern one. There's one that starts in Sevilla. Oh, cool. There's one that starts in Madrid, even. Nice. Do you know if these trails were specifically built for pilgrims, or did they also have, like, other purposes, like, I don't know, Silk Road or... No, it's the... trade routes. It's not even, like, so much a trail. Now it's very well marked and things, but it was just the way... People just tried to get to Santiago de Compostela, so they just kind of went... And they followed the path that all the other pilgrims would be going. Oh, okay. So basically, I mean, we call it, like, a path. And the French way is very common. But, like, basically, you just started wherever you lived and you went to Santiago. Ah, okay. That's super cool. So if you had any advice for anybody who wants to do Camino de Santiago... What would you tell them? Yeah, we made some mistakes, even though we did do a lot of research beforehand. Uh But we still screwed up a couple of times that kind of like really messed us up. One time, I guess on the first day, we were too like concerned because you have a little passport of your credentials and you have to get at least like two stamps per day to stay at an albergue. And we had one. But we didn't ever see a second one. And then we asked somebody and they were like, oh, yeah, it's like way up there. Like you passed it a while ago. So like we went trekking on back. (laughs) Oh, no. Up this hill. And then we got it. And then the people who told us that, like, they got to the albergue around the same time and they got the last beds. So (laughs) no. So then we had to stay somewhere else in a hostel. Luckily, we were in like a decent sized town city thing. So that's weird that you had to get stamps in order to stay in a place. Yeah, just to prove that you've been walking, like, Mm. and you didn't just, like, hop on a bus and get there, like, super early. Right. No cheating. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so, but we learned never go back. 
don't backtrack because like yeah. if we had not like those french people would have not beaten us there because we got there at the same time even with a backtrack would you have been able to stay there uh yeah because they had some beds but they didn't have four beds mm. also start earlier than we tended to because then everybody starts around like maybe six what? That's so early. Yeah, it's really early. And most of the albergues open around 3 or 3.30. And okay. people go and just, like, sit outside until it's time for them to open. And there's, like, a lot of times a list that you have to put your name down, like, first come, first serve. And they only have, like, Whoa. a certain number of beds. That sounds intense, man. It's a, yeah. Is that why people bring, bring like, tents and stuff, so... You don't have to worry about that. Yeah, but then you have to find, like, a, a place that you can set them up because you can't just set them up anywhere. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. Like, no, like, um, my, my old roommate and another one of our really good friends, like, they put that to the test. We left before they did, but they did, like, a big Korea trip as well, and they slept literally anywhere they could put up their sleeping bag. Like, they were in, what are they called, pagodas. They were just, like, in parks. They were on a bench. They can sleep anywhere. That is one reason I like that system of sleeping in tea houses because I can't. I found out in the spring, like, I don't like not sleeping in a bed <laughs> when we did another hiking trip. No, she does not. Okay. Oh, another thing you should bring like a sleeping bag liner or something because not they're not always that clean. Oh, okay. So they even had blankets for you there. Yeah, they give you blankets and things, but it's nice. They might have been cleaned like once the decade or once a year, maybe. Yeah. Oh, did you buy it? Did you bring that? Mm-hmm. That's good. We did bring that, and I would also say don't overpack because it just doesn't really matter. Like everyone's kind of gross. Yeah. So like, I think I had like two pairs of shorts and two shirts, you know, and one pair of shoes. Packing tip 101 is you pack what you think you need, and then you take half of it out. Yep. Yep. Put it back. Exactly. Yeah, and especially in the Camino de Santiago, you're walking through towns and stuff. Like, you're not in the middle of nowhere. Like, you can buy something if really you need it. Yeah, that's nice. And you don't need to take really much food or anything because you just stop in restaurants and... It's a very different type of hiking experience than what you're talking about. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Well, I thought we could talk about Nepal. Yeah, Nepal was like my bucket list place. I always dreamed of going there, and one day I did. (laughs) And it was wonderful. Yeah, so we did this five-day hike. Nepal is home to Mount Everest, but the Himalayas is a very long mountain range, and... Yeah, we were in the portion of the Himalayas called the Annapurnas, mm-hmm. which is over on the east of middle Nepal. Mm-hmm. N- Nepal is kind of like a long, weird rectangular shape. So we were like east of, of center, and we started off in a city, or is it like a big town? What was it called? Pokhara? Pokhara, yeah. Pokhara was wonderful. Yeah. It had this massive lake. And there was, like, a little island in the middle with a Hindu temple or two, uh, like a big shrine. Mm-hmm. You could take a boat out there. People could rent kayaks or things. But that was where our trailhead started. We took a van ride, like, I don't know, like an hour or so to the trailhead. 
And the name of the hike was called Poon Hill. Yeah, because that was like the scenic spot. You go to the top of Poon Hill at sunrise on like what was it the third day. Yeah. And you get to see the Annapurna uh, mountain range, like Annapurna 1 and Fishtail mm-hmm. and all the other like big name peaks. Yeah. And a lot of the trail was also like Annapurna Base Camp. So we met one or two people who were going that way. Annapurna Base Camp is like a 14-day trek. And actually, the week after we were, we did Poon Hill, or maybe a few weeks later, there was a an avalanche on the Annapurna Base Camp trek. So I don't think it was near Poon Hill, but a few hikers actually died during that avalanche. But... But yeah, it was a really beautiful experience. Um, we also stayed at tea houses, like you did, and they were really nice. We would like get up really early and hi- eat a little breakfast, hike for like five or six hours, and then stop and eat lunch and uh, just rest for the rest of the day, because we were so tired after hiking in the Himalayas. Well, the thing about the Himalayas is that so much of it is vertical. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not exactly like the Appalachians where, you know, gently rolling mountains that have been there for so long, they've eroded. Mm-hmm. Um, Himalayas are still, like, gigantimous. <laughs> what do you compare the Himalayas to? Um, <laughs> They're very up and down. Yeah, but, like, there are still people who, like, how do you traverse, like, mountains like that? Most people do it by foot. And they've made like pedestrian highways so it's very well manicured like they have stone stairs that people use yeah and and porters will carry honestly everything on their back like Mm -hmm. i saw one guy he was shorter than patrice and he was carrying these double pane tea house windows that were like i don't know eight feet long Mm -hmm. by like four feet yeah from his head, so the the way they carry things up these mountains is they have a strap that goes around their head, oh, wow. and then they like bend over, so all of the weight is like on their neck. And all the weight's like distributed directly down their spinal column. Oh yeah, as opposed to like sitting on your shoulders or your hips with right. like a traditional backpack. But if anybody's planning to go to the Himalayas and like want to be as tough as the porters, don't try that. <laughs> Don't try that technique because they've been doing it since they could probably walk. Yeah. And there have been been too many horror stories of people like having their necks snapped from the weight. So it's amazing. Yeah. So this highway is used. It's not just a highway for truckers. It's for people carrying supplies up to tea houses or base camps or carrying people down who need to go to the hospital yeah we saw one guy carrying a woman also <laughs> like, by her by his head like on his back yeah, like yeah. his big wicker basket <laughs> wow helicopters don't even go up that high because the air is too thin yeah so you have to use yourself or maybe a donkey a donkey there were lots of donkeys and um yaks going up the mountain carrying yep. supplies like chains of those and the, the best part was like you know we're there in our hiking gear and our backpack it was like maybe 10 pounds 20 pounds i think it was 10 I mean, pounds we like stripped weight 
down pretty far. Yeah, I think it was 10 pounds per person. And, like, we've got our boots, and then there's guys passing us, going uphill. In carrying, <laughs> car- Yeah, carrying these glass panes, and just, like, in flip-flops or Crocs. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. So, if someone were going to do that, what is some advice you would give, or some, where to start? Do a lot of training for the hiking if you're, especially if you're going to do a base camp like Everest or Annapurna, because it is a really, like we were saying, it's very up and down, and there was like no flat surface the entire time. After five or six hours of hiking every day, I remember just wanting to die. Yeah, like I, I've done it for so long, and granted, I wasn't in like prime hiking shape when we went, mm-hmm. but I was still like roaming around all over Asia because that was like during our big Asia trip like I had just spent was it two weeks in Japan uh-huh. walking almost non-stop and um you, you know the muscles like around your shin bones mm-hmm. I wish I didn't have them after after hiking in the Himalayas it was like a rubber band mm-hmm. an old rubber band I was about to snap like all the time if you and do start after, hiking that was after five days on yeah, like a not even very still. challenging thing compared to other people yeah it's just like upstairs yeah. a thousand stairs so many stairs and uh yeah just like make sure you stretch mm-hmm. yeah i actually did a post on hiking in the foothills of the himalayas it's pretty old um but it is on our website if you want to check that out it's like from 2014 cool and how did you go about you had a guide right yes and how did you mm-hmm. go about finding one so the hotel we stayed at in Kathmandu also had a business deal with some guides our guide name was Ribadi he has his own company now uh Mountain Magic Treks if you want to look it up on Facebook he's awesome yeah he was great so if you go that way we have an excellent recommendation for you. Mm-hmm. He was super nice. Cool. So I have a lightning round. Oh, sure. Okay, lightning round. Worst hike ever. So when I was in the Boy Scouts, I had a orienteering trip, and that is using map and compass to navigate. <laughs> we were in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina, and it would not stop pouring rain. Oh, no. All I had was... A thin poncho and it got caught on every single twig and it was just shredded by the end of it so <laughs> I, don't know, I, 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 I looked like a shredded ghost <laughs> at the end of the day so there were like 20 markers and it took us like three hours to find them because we got lost like doing something but it was worse on the way back because we're all crammed into the troop bus and our body heat is fogging up all of the windows. We've got the driver up front and another adult leader who, with a towel like wiping down the windshield so we can see outside. And we get lost in this town called Livonia. And uh, we stay lost for like another hour and a half. We're all freezing cold. We're all dripping wet. We all stop at a Target. And there's like 40 like Boy Scouts that cram into the, the male bathroom to get the air dryer to try and dry out anything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. That does sound like the worst hike ever. (laughs) What about you, Rachel? It was in Nevada, I think. And my mom and I went for what we thought was going to be like a pretty short, mild hike, but it was not well marked. We brought like one bottle of water between the two of us. 
It was not well marked. We got, like, lost. It was, like, starting to get dark. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to die here in the desert. And I still tell my mom how much that was horrible, like, how horrible that was. (laughs) I was very, very cranky, and I was also, like, 13. Oh, God, yeah. No, maybe I was, like, 16. So I was, like, very... That's not okay. <laughs> yeah, hormonal. Yeah, and we got, like, it was, like, it ended up being, like, maybe five or six hours, and we thought it was going to be, like, two. Oh. Like, we were walking along a highway, just, like, we couldn't find, like, where the <laughs> rental car <Yeah>. was. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Well, here, how about this one time? It was, like, the February before we left for China, and my um. roommate and our friend, they come to visit us in Tennessee, and we decided to go on a quick hike. You know, on the last weekend. We didn't and really it's have, a pretty day outside. It was a really pretty day. It was cold, but yeah. we're hiking. We have some coats. It's all right. It was not all right. We get to the top of the mountain. It starts pouring snow. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that's like the worst hiking experience because it was no. still so much fun. It was really cool, but it was like Zach borrowed my coat. So I had like a pea coat that really wasn't very warm and I was freezing the whole time yeah you don't do cold no i don't do cold yeah okay thank you for joining us thank you so that was fun and i was thinking we should also maybe give some like general tips yeah sure so one thing that i recommend from my hiking experience in nepal is make sure you clip your toenails (laughs) before you (laughs) that's a really important one Because I remember when I was, like, the first day I hadn't done that, and it felt like I was, like, stubbing my toe over and over and over. That's really uncomfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after you cut your toenails, it's like, oh, I have so much more space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, your toenails can fall off if if you put too much pressure on them when they're long like that. Uh, Also, make sure you have really comfortable shoes, and you've broken them in. They actually fit you. Uh, yes. once we went to Germany and I was also about like 14 or something, I brought my trusty hiking boots. And then when we got to the Alps, I was, I put them on. I was like, these are too small. Oh no. <laughs> and my mom was so mad cause we were in a tiny town and she had to buy me really expensive boots. <laughs> oh Yeah. Yeah, boots are really expensive in general, but, like, probably if there's, like, no other competition in the place. Mm -hmm. And in Germany. Yeah, in Germany, in Euros. Wow. Yeah, so check your shoes out and your other gear. If you're taking a backpack or something, make sure that's comfortable. That's super important. Definitely. So those are good foot-related pieces of advice. I would also say practice walking around. If you're going to have a pack or something, walk around with it, with everything in that you think you're going to have. This goes back to, like, taking stuff out because you realize, like, if you walk for a mile or something and your back is really hurting, you've got too much stuff. I really like that advice. Because you think, like, oh, 10 pounds. That's, like, you know, I can do that. No problem. Or 20 pounds or whatever it is. Like, that's easy. But you don't do that every day. So Yeah. Unless you do do that every day, then you don't need our advice. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what are you doing here? What about where to look for experiences or where to, how to plan it? Yeah, I mean, every place is different, right? Like, I've done a hiking trip in Nepal 
and one in Thailand. And in both cases, I had like a guide. Uh, in Nepal, it was just for Seth and me, and in Thailand, it was for Seth and me and another couple. Mm-hmm. And that was awesome because, especially in Thailand, like there wasn't a very clear path. But then this summer, we were thinking about going on a long trip through Romania, and I was looking for a guide, and it was like. It was way more expensive in Romania, first of all. Second of all, it just didn't seem like it was something people did. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of different ways that people hike in Europe, like extended hikes, and I'm I'm not really familiar with it. So does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. And uh, it depends on, yeah, exactly the place where you are, the difficulty of it. Yeah. I know a lot of places in, like, South America, for example, in Peru, it's really common to have a guide, and maybe you also hire horses or mules or something to carry your things. Right, yeah. So that's always something to look into if you're going to do, like, a bigger trek, not just, like, a little day thing. Definitely, especially for... In places where the cost of living is lower, it's usually a lot easier to find a guide Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, my mom did a trek with some of her friends, and they had cooks, they had horses, and the trek was very, very difficult, but they didn't have to really carry their stuff or anything. Mm, So, And some people were carrying their stuff, but they regretted it. (laughs) She (laughs) said that people that they met on the trail Mm, yeah so that's always something to look into like what do people say about their experience there read blogs and definitely yeah things like that to see what the norms are in nepal we would see people walking past us who had hired a guide and a porter Mm -hmm. probably people who have porters are the ones who are like going to base camp but that is that is also nice when you have somebody else to like help you out with that Mm -hmm. yeah and if you're gonna do like day trips just one general piece of advice like bring more water than you think you need yeah yeah always i always regret not bringing enough water yeah i mean water is really heavy so it is something like you don't want to bring like 18 liters of water but yeah at least a liter maybe probably two i think so for a day hike especially Mm. if it's really hot Mm -hmm. also for a day hike Bring even, like, supplies, like, even for blisters or... First aid, for sure. Snacks and things. Even if you think it's going to be, like, two hours, you really never know, like, the level of marking that there's going to be. I've been on some really, really poorly marked trails. Exactly, yeah. Bringing a map, oh my god, mm-hmm. I always make that mistake as well. Yeah, like, a map, if you can get one from, like, a local map of trails, that would be ideal. <laughs> GPS is good, but it doesn't show trails usually. Exactly. And so... It helps you, like, if you need to know if you're going in the right direction sometimes, but... Yeah, but sometimes for hiking, you have to go the wrong way to get back to follow the trail. So true. So, yeah, like, in Yellowstone and places out west, we were on some pretty scarcely marked trails that is, like, walk across a field. You're like, well, I hope (laughs) I end up at the right place. Yeah. Go this way. Maybe bring it, depending on where you are, if you're traveling to like a very different climate from yours, make sure you have all your vaccinations and things and maybe read about like different types of wildlife you might encounter. Yeah, 
and just make sure like you have your anti-malarial or <laughs> whatever might be necessary. My brother hiked the AT mm-hmm. a few years ago with our cousin and they they saw a lot of bears on the trail. I've never seen a bear while hiking. Really? Even in the Smokies? Yeah. I see one like every time I go. What? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're lucky. Yeah, the last time I saw one about 10 feet on the trail from me and we were like, okay, let's just get a little bit off the trail and <laughs> he just meandered on his way. I would freak out. You know, it's it's funny, like, a lot of people really hate snakes, mm-hmm. but snakes don't bother me. I think if I saw a bear, I would be terrified. Yeah. Uh, if I saw a grizzly, I would definitely be terrified. Yeah. But yeah, that's another thing. Maybe, like, if you're going somewhere, like, deserty, like a snake bite kit or something like that. Mmm, totally. I don't have one of those, but... <laughs> It would definitely <laughs> be a good idea. If you're going to do that, yeah. If Depending on where you're going, of course. Mm-hmm. What's been your favorite place that you've seen mm-hmm. while hiking? We did a lot of great hiking in, like, Wyoming, Idaho, out there, and, like, amazing wildlife and scenery, and mm. that was yeah. some of my favorite hiking, probably. That's awesome. What about yours? I think I. it's really hard to choose, but this is the one that's freshest on my mind. We did some hiking while we were in Romania this summer through the Southern Carpathians, and that was breathtaking. These limestone cliffs that we were walking next to, it was just like, it wasn't too much of a hike. It was like, it took maybe four hours to do, but it was so, so beautiful. And we were just in the middle of this very quaint little area in Romania. And we like parked at a little hostel. Um, And the guy didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any Romanian. And he was like, are you guys Germans? And we were, I was like, no, but I can speak German. And that's how we found out where the trailhead was. Because he has a lot of German tourists Mm. who stay at his hotel. So like, whew, (laughs) my German saved us. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. and I also just, like, anytime, it doesn't even have to be, like, a big thing, but I like going pretty much any time I travel, I like to take at least, like, a short hike or, like, go out into the nature surrounding because it's so different everywhere, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And... Yeah, it's it's nice to, like... soak in something that's not just a city like go see the landscape Mm -hmm. you know yeah I mean some of my favorite days on trips are the days that we go to the mountains or go to do a little hike even if it's just like a two-hour thing or one hour yeah yeah see a waterfall or something you know yeah and I don't know I just also like to disconnect while doing it (laughs) yeah a lot of times when you're hiking, you don't have a signal anyway, so you're not bothered by technology. Yeah, exactly. Whoa. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with mm-hmm. us in our lives. Do you want to start? You start. Okay. So, yeah, this past few months, I have been really busy. This is one reason why we put the podcast on hold, because I was finishing up my teaching license. I was doing student teaching which requires a lot of extra work. And now I'm finished with my 
teaching license, all of the studying that's required for it. And yay! Yeah! And soon I will be starting in a new school. And so Seth and I will be moving to another part of Shenzhen, getting a big old upgrade on apartment and salary. So I'm really excited about that. Also, I found a cat on Monday. Is this your new update? Yeah, this is what I didn't tell you yet. Ah. I was like going to my regular convenience store where I'll get some water sometimes before work. And there's this little cat when I walk in who's like this little maybe two-month-old orange tabby with white paws. And I go to buy the water and I'm like, I said to this shopkeeper, I was like, oh, is this your cat? Can I take a picture of her? She's so cute. And he's like, yeah, um, her eyes aren't good. And so I go over to take a picture and her eyes are a mess. I don't know. They look infected and everything. And so... Oh my god, and I texted my friend who was a vet, and she was like, oh, maybe you can put some chamomile tea on them, that'll help. I don't know why, I just, like, this cat was so friendly, and I just felt an urge to, to help her. And so, the next day, I went in, and I was, like, talking to the owner, and I was like, I'll take her to the vet for you. And I take her to the vet, and she's missing eyelids, because she had feline herpes. Oh, okay. So one eye is, like up here and one she's missing a little bit of eyelid on the other side so you know it's not life-threatening but if she gets infected that's bad so she always has to be seen and she's living in this little open-air convenience store so I go back the next day and she's living in our guest room I tell the shop owner like if you want I can give her back after we treat her a little eye infection that she has but I can also try to help her find a new home that's not like open air And maybe we'll get this surgery for her that the vet recommended so that her, the hair on her, above her eyes, isn't rubbing against her cornea. Uh, Okay. And the guy was like, yeah, no, that'd be great if you could try to find a new home for her. But she's a very common cat. Like, you shouldn't pay for a surgery for her. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're so right. But now we're raising money to get her a surgery. (laughs) And we've, like, fallen in love with her. And we're like, oh, no. (laughs) Is she your new kitty? Maybe. We haven't decided. Our cats don't, aren't cool with it, so. They're not. No, in no way. They're in no way cool with it. (laughs) (sighs) So yeah, that's what's going on in my life. I'm going to move. I might have a new cat. And we're going to Egypt at the end of January. Woo. And you have a new job. And I have a new job, so everything's happening very fast. And a a new teaching license, so lots of, lots of changes. Yeah. How about you? Not so much to update, I think. I am still teaching online. I started a course in translation a few months ago, and that's really cool. I'm enjoying that a lot. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge, and maybe looking to transition a little bit from teaching English to that could be Mm -hmm. cool. What else? I'm going home in a week. Wow, it's so soon. I know. One week from today. Mm -hmm. Maybe by the time this episode is released, I'll be traveling, actually. Yeah, Yeah, probably. So, um, yeah, I'll be going home for a couple of weeks, and 
tell you anything else? Oh, my little puppy is in a beautiful calendar, and he's so cute. <gasps> no, that's so exciting. Let me see. Oh, Rayo, he's in Enero. He's in January. That's yeah. a very good month. <laughs> How did that happen? Did you, like, um, submit it? It's the the rescue group that we adopted him from. They asked him to come to have his picture taken for the calendar. They were like, bring, bring, bring. Hello, Ryo. Yes, this is your rescue agency. <laughs> Would you like to be part of our calendar? Woof, woof. <laughs> That's awesome. And so he, he wanted to. So he, now he's on the calendar. So now he's on the calendar and he's January. And he's December of our current calendar. So Whoa. two months in a row of Ryo. Look at that. <laughs> Getting that calendar. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think for major updates, that's pretty much it. Well, um, speaking of animals, since we're talking about our animals, uh, they're... <laughs> that's all we talk I'm, about. <laughs> yeah, I know. By the way, when we're not talking about language, culture, and travel, we're talking about our animals. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is a an animal rescue group here in Shenzhen, and... They are currently rescuing dogs from slaughterhouses in northern China. Okay. Because people eat dogs here. And they yeah. also buy dogs online, like corgis and Labradors, and they're, like, raised. And, uh, and then people don't want them, or it's really messed up. And then uh, they're sent to slaughterhouses and people eat them in restaurants. So I'm so sorry. I am ending this episode on a super sad note. But if anybody ever wants to adopt a dog from China, like a rescue who's been rescued from the slaughterhouse situation, there are a lot of dogs in need right now because of that that have just been rescued. And I know this because I'm like posting in animal rescue groups about my new cat. So. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah. I know. I've seen a lot on Facebook of those, Oof. like of dogs that come from China. Ugh. It's yeah. just like there are dogs. There's so many dogs everywhere. I, I know. just want to adopt all of them, but I, I know. don't have enough money or space or time. I know. Exactly. <laughs> like, I I barely have enough space for three cats right now, which is, which is crazy because it's a two bedroom apartment. But like animals have so many needs, you know. And you told me there's like you need to have one and a half litter boxes per cat, right? Uh, I think it's one litter box per cat per floor of your home. So if you have a like two floor home and two cats, then you're supposed to have four litter boxes. My god, just have your whole house be a freaking litter box. I know, this is like a little bit of an overkill, I feel like. That's what vets recommend, but... Anyway. Okay. Well, thank you everybody for listening. We would love to hear your experience about traveling and hiking. Yeah, if you have any pictures, also we'd love to see. Like, yes. maybe there are some places that we need to plan trips to. Ooh, yeah, definitely. We would love to hear and see. Yeah, and subscribe to the podcast, however you listen to podcasts. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And make sure you leave us a review on iTunes so that more people can find us. And send us your Lost in Translations 
so we can include them. Yes. We would love to hear your funny or not so funny experiences. So you can head over to our website, languagenerdsdoearth.com, and click on the voice recorder to send us a voice memo. Our next episode is going to be about a special language in Romania that is secret and nobody knows about it. And I have the inside scoop. So look forward to that. Very exciting. Wow. What a great episode. Yeah. I I really am feeling like I want to go hiking again. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe after I get well, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were being sarcastic. Like... <laughs> yeah, so um, <clears throat> the, on the cat, Seth and I decided that we're keeping the cat. And we also found out about a week after we recorded that episode that the cat is a boy. So we named him Odin because he might lose an eye eventually. Oh. But we have moved to our new apartment and there's enough room for him. Okay, that's awesome. And I got a tour of the apartment, and it looks amazing. Oh, I love it. Actually, it's really good that we mo- we moved right before the quarantine, because we have a lot more room to, like, not go anywhere, if yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not just sitting in one space the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, do you want to say anything, Rachel? No, I don't really have any new updates. Um, I had a great time when I was in the U.S. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's good. You were there for a month, yeah? Uh, three weeks. Nice. Okay, well, we will see you next week when we talk about uh, the glassmaker language of Romania. All right. Awesome. Okay. See you then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.